For Andrew Mevis, who's had some woes here, this is a 30-yarder from the far left hash. The snap, the hold, the kick. It is up, and the kick is good. And it will be a 31-yard field goal from the right hash. The snap, the hold is good, the kick is up, and the kick is good. Andrew Mevis puts three points on the board yet again. Five-man front for Georgetown. They might blitz, they back off. the first point after of the game by Brad Hurst. Holders play Norris. The kick is blocked. The extra point is blocked and it's going the other way. It's Jesse Bramble down the near side to the 40, to the 50, down the near sideline. He's got a convoy. He's going to run it back all the way for two points. From Studio 3 in the basement of Keating Hall uh, at the WFUV studios on the campus of Fordham University, this is Monday Night Quarterback. My name is James Cargan. Alongside me, as always, is my good partner, Tommy Aldrich. And joining us, as usual, is the very happy head coach of the Fordham University Rams, Andrew Briner. Coach, I, I think I already know how you're doing today. Uh, I'm doing well, guys. As I said when I walked in, uh, everything's a little bit better uh, after a win. It was uh, a long wait, um, but uh, very pleased with the, the outcome and, and, and the process that led up to it. And, yeah, things are the, things are better after a win. Indeed they are. And I know you spoke uh, about this at, during our interview with you after the game. But just to reiterate, uh, how pr- with all that has gone on, with all the injuries, missing all those players uh, during this game, I, I don't even want to go through them all, after all that, how, how proud are you are you of your guys for coming through like that? Yeah, it, as I said, you know, I I I don't know if there's a word I could use to to really do justice to how proud and impressed I am. You know, with the, with the players, of course, with the coaching staff. Um, you know, that number of injuries and and illnesses um, are, are a lot to a lot to overcome uh, in a conference game, and my. Full credit goes to to our players, to our coaching staff. Um, you know, knew what kind of a game it was going to have to be in order for us to have a chance to win, and and went out and executed that type of game. You know, almost to a T, um, and you know, got got the win. Yeah, coach, if I can just jump in here real quick. So much to say about this game. Uh, I've I've seen it be described as a pitcher's duel, and really, when I think of the game, just as in a very wholesome way, that's sort of what I'm reminded of. What was it like for you watching the defenses just go back and forth, back and forth? What were were you nervous at all? No, well, no, not not nervous. Um, you know, I knew for us to win the football game, that was going to be the kind of game it had to be. Um, it was going to be a defensive, uh, you know, defensive centric game. Um, it was going to be a field position game. Um, if we could continue to improve our starting field position with each drive and at the same time forcing Georgetown to drive further and further and further, um, I was confident that, that we could get points on the board, um, enough points to, to win. Um, so the the game went very close to, to how I, I talked to the staff going back to last Monday, last Tuesday, about this is how we're going to have to go about winning this football game. Um, and, and, and we did that, and that that is why I'm so proud. 
And we we can talk about a, a bunch of different players that came through in this game, but there's really only one that matters the most, and that's Austin Longy, who, with everything, with with almost every other skill position starter being out, other than Isaiah Seawright, he stepped up and really at times carried the offense. Uh, you even went to him on on fourth and one. Which you know we one would expect a run play on fourth on a fourth and one play because it's the safest play, but in reality for for you guys Austin Longy is is always the safest play. Yeah, no, Austin had a had a, an outstanding game. Um, really, you know, I was impressed on the field. Uh, knew that that he was someone going into the game that that we needed a big day from. Watched him have a big day. Um, even more impressed when I turned the film on on the bus ride back and just saw, you know, from his first game back at Lafayette to, to now, you know, how much, you know, cleaner and, and more exact he's become. Um, and, and it's helping him produce um, on top of the, the physical talent that, that he clearly has. He's, he's definitely one of the guys that, that stepped up in a, in a big way. Obviously, the, the entire defense, um, you know, that that to me is the story as I told the staff and the team yesterday we have some critical statistics that we look at each and every week and and I go through those coach Ostro puts those together in a game review um, and I got through them all and I said here are the statistics that matter 14 plays minus one yards zero first downs that's what the defense held Georgetown's offense to in the fourth quarter um, that is the story of the game um, and, and then the other person that I'd mentioned who was named Patriot League uh, Special Teams Player of the Week today? A freshman punter and kicker, Andrew Mevis. The three field goals obviously are the the, the tangible stats, the points. Um, but as I mentioned in the last question, I believe the the field position, the the three punts inside the twenty yard line, two of them inside the five. You know, the, those contributed to the defense being able to pin their ears back, play aggressive, play physical, keep Georgetown on their half of the football field in the fourth quarter. And the field position battle was so important. I recall a sack, I believe, on a third down that pushed Georgetown deeper in their territory, thus setting you guys up at the 50. And we were just commenting on how, you know, that sack flipped the whole field position game, and that came at a critical time. I don't remember who got the sack on that particular moment, but two guys. It was Ellis Taylor. Ellis Taylor. Yep. Okay, so two guys, though, I want to talk about who I saw on the defensive line, two freshmen. DeAndre Carter and Jeremy Imperati. Imperati, who I'm not sure we've seen all season yet, comes in and gets a sack. And uh, both those guys look like they have a very bright future in rushing the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, DeAndre's a guy that's played in almost, if not every game uh, yeah. this season. He's a guy that has steadily improved um, as an every down defensive end. Um, and, and Jeremy is a guy that started off the season um, fall camp at linebacker, uh, took a look at what we needed on the defensive line, identified that he was a guy that we knew could rush the passer um, and, and spent some time developing him, um, and, and he got an opportunity. He's played a little bit, uh, but he got an opportunity, you know, really with kind of the first third down grouping um, and went in there and, and, and made a play. was very happy for him. You know, there's certain types of players that just take to a new position. They, they're almost like a sponge uh, absorbing the new information, that sounds like uh, to Jeremy to to 
switch and move to a new position and play that well in such a short amount of time. Yeah, it was something that for him going to defensive end was going back to what he did last year uh, in his prep year at Cheshire Academy. Um, in high school, he played some tight end, he played some DN, he played some linebacker. Um, but when he went to Cheshire last year, uh, he played defensive end for Coach Dykeman. And, and so when we presented it to him, you could tell he was comfortable because he'd done it before. We're going to go over, uh, we've got your special teams coordinator, Shane Fogarty, on, and we've got the two special teams heroes, or two of the three special teams heroes, Andrew Mevis and Jesse Bramble. But I was saying uh, at during the postgame show about just how big of a, the momentum shift the run back for two points was by Bramble. At that point in the game, you in the first half, you guys were basically – dominating them uh, in both facets of the game, offense and defense, and they were really getting nothing on offense, but they got a big play, and the t- they got a touchdown out, out of it, almost like that, and it seemed like all that work was just going to lead to a, a one-point deficit at the half, but to have that play and, and have that momentum shift from them celebrating a touchdown to you celebrating two points, how huge was that? Very huge. I think you're spot on when you talk about the momentum uh, in a football game. Obviously, um, you know, the big play that got them down in the red zone, I think they scored two plays later. Um, you know, you could you could feel that momentum starting to swing. And then, you know, our guys up front, Manny Adieye and Michael Ware, uh, executed the technique on the field goal block. Manny got his hand on it. Jesse was right where he was supposed to be. Got a, a, a great bounce right up into his into his lap and, and, and took it the – the distance and you know the the thing about it is you know the two points then huge for momentum huge to to keep us in the lead but when you really look down to managing the clock and making decisions at the end of the football game ultimately those two points led us to to eventually having a, an eight point lead which is a, a touchdown and a two point conversion so it allowed us to have a completely different mindset when it came to making decisions late in the game about time management when to go forward on fourth down when not to go forward on fourth down you know when to to eat clock and and when when to be aggressive so th- those points were big in the moment and they proved to be maybe even bigger in, in the last four four and a half minutes of the football game yeah, I was. I'm sure someone. I'm not sure which coach has this owns this mantra, but I was yelling "scoop and score, scoop and score." I mean, it was a very well executed play. Sometimes harder than it seems to pick up a football. Sure, it's like yeah. the hardest thing. But going back to the defensive side, a guy you mentioned in our last interview was Darius, their receiver. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel you did? Uh, in containing him, he clearly is a special player. Yeah, Michael is a—he's a great player, and I, I made sure to grab him on the field after the game and just tell him exactly what what I thought of him and how highly I thought of him. Um, He—he's been—he's been a tremendous player, really, for his whole whole career at Georgetown. I—I uh, I think overall we we did a good job. You know, he made the big play, um, but great players like him generally find a, a way to do that. But but all in all, I, I thought we did a good job of you know limiting the explosive plays. I think when we looked at it at the end of the game, um, in that game review, they only had five what we consider explosive plays on offense, which is a, a run of 12 or more, a pass of 16 or more. So defensively, when you can hold an offense under, really eight is the number you're looking for. You hold them to five. I think we did a, we did a pretty good job. Without a doubt. And when we come back on this program, we will look ahead to next week's ball game against the Lehigh Mountain Hawks. Stay with us. And we are back on the Monday Night Quarterback Program for our X's and O's 
segment where we are joined by one of the members of the coaching staff that is not head coach Andrew Briner. And this week, the special teams coordinator and running backs coach Shane Fogarty joins us. Coach, how you doing? No, uh, doing great. Doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me again. Yep, this is uh, this is our first. I believe this is our first repeat uh, coach yeah. of the season. Mm-hmm. And we are always happy to the lucky winner. The lucky guest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, you, you can't. Uh, it was just a lottery, really. That certainly, was certainly, certainly. Well, Nothing to do with Mavis's well, performance. Or well, there, well, special teams, of course, played a humongous part in the victory over Georgetown. Uh, we've got two special teams heroes waiting in the back uh, to join us after we jo- we are done with you. Just uh, let's talk about Andrew Mevis first, the freshman kicker slash punter from Indiana. He made three field goals, but it was the punting that really set the tone for the game, the way he flipped the field, three punts inside the 20, two inside the five, and how big was that for you? Um, it was great. I felt uh, very excited for him personally. I know that, that he takes a lot of pride in what he does. Um, on the field for us, so it was a, it was certainly an advantage for us to be able to get that ball down multiple times inside the five, and then having a third one inside the twenty with an actual opportunity to get one more. Um, that ball, the other ball, landed on the fourteen. Uh, we should have actually had four down inside, but Andrew did did a very good job. Um, he went out and performed to the level uh, that that we as a staff know that he can achieve. Yeah, the field position, James, good to bring that up. So critical. And when, and when you know, Coach Briner talks about playing complementary football, man, one of the most important pieces of complementary football could be field position. And, you know, that's what you have in your punter. But the kicks as well, no kick under 30 yards. Uh, how impressive is that just to, you know, nail three 30-plus yarders? Uh, it, it's great. Uh, he went out and, and played with some confidence. Um, he is a kid that was highly recruited coming out of high school. Um, he was an Under Armour All-American, went down to a national kicking competition in Florida in, I believe, December or January last year, hit six field goals in under a minute and a half uh, and won the national Under Armour field goal competition. So he, hey. he, can, he can kick. I mean, he can regularly – put him in there from 45 plus on the practice field and he just went out and took advantage of the opportunities and and put points on the board which are are extremely valuable you know with uh with some kickers we see it all the time in college and the national football league with some kickers it's it's almost always mental when they struggle how 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 do you prevent a kicker from getting into his own head and focusing on the task at hand? I think the first part, just like any other position player, is recognizing how to coach that individual. And through the progression of of learn, you know, of uh, developing a relationship with Andrew, I've realized that he's a coach that I can, or he's a, a student athlete I can coach extremely hard. Um, he's hard on himself. Um, he challenges himself. He wants to be successful. He has a very good work ethic so from my perspective it was I needed to challenge him even more than I was already doing and he he thrives in that he he gets excited if you see the the uh his touchbacks came after 
obviously after the field goals, but but he was excited because he made a field goal, so they went out and he performed at a higher level, you know, and, and he just kept following it up as the game as the game progressed. So he 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 was like everybody else, you know, enjoys the momentum, you know, and and just has to go out there and and show what he shows us when he goes out to practice. And speaking of momentum, why don't we talk about the momentous return by your cornerback, uh, Jesse Bramble. How, uh, during practice, or just generally speaking, during any kicking, defensive kicking play, how aware are your guys to be on the ready for a scoop and score? They get coached on it every day. So every day there is there's actually a scoop and score player. Um, that is set up by us schematically. So we have a block side, and then we have a scoop and score side. And, um, you know, Manny went in there and and made it look easy, uh, literally like he was, you know, swatting a dunk and, and, <laughs> and got a hand on it, and it wasn't even close. I mean, he did it. Was yeah, a, it was denied. Yes, <laughs> yes. He looked like uh, Dikembe Mutombo out yeah. there. I mean, that ball wasn't even chest high. Uh, by the time he got there, and and Jesse did a great job of of scoop and score, and and you know he had a, a whole um, litany of players back there running with him, Dylan Maven, um, Nico Thorpe, um, you know guys were were getting ready to turn back and and make key blocks, but Jesse was able to to scoop it up and and get us a valuable two points. The the act of blocking and defending against kicks has has been something that I've been fascinated about. I, I've always wondered why some teams block more kicks than others what kind because I actually remember a couple years ago uh, I'm from Jersey and Rutgers blocked all these kicks for and they were terrible they blocked all these kicks for no reason and I'm just wondering (laughs) what what, what's the diff what makes the difference I think um, the difference is schematically what you how aggressive you want to be because as you saw, we went after one kick and we got a 15-yard penalty. Um, yes. So if you're gonna be, if you're going to be aggressive and you're going to live in that, we're going to rush every punt or we're going to rush every field goal or PAT attempt. You're 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 sort of living in that attack mentality, um, and then you have to train the players on what to do once you get there. Because every week I'll see film of four guys being in a position to block a kick, but once they get there, maybe their hands aren't correct. Maybe their maybe their eyes aren't in the right place. Maybe they aren't they aren't um, you know, running in the the correct direction or angle to take the put the you know, take the, the, the ball off the punter's foot. So it there's a lot that goes into it and and you know, we are not a block operated team. We we utilize our offensive personnel and try to return more kicks than block the kicks. Um but to answer your question, the reason people do it and how they do it is is they they work individual drills, they work group drills, they work team drills, and then you get really good at it. And once you get good at it, people get intimidated or scared or or really have to change their schemes so that they don't allow you to block a kick. Yeah, it seems like a simple concept from the outside uh, world. You know, just run past the guys and try and put your hand on the ball it doesn't seem like it's just that simple, though. It's certainly not because you, you have to account for, in particular, a punt. You're accounting for their blocking scheme. You're accounting for their personnel. You're accounting for the timing, 
the execution that it takes. I mean, a normal snap operation is two seconds, so you've got to get 14 yards or nine yards rather in two seconds. <laughs> Plus, you got to get past the guy that's supposed to be blocking you. Schematically, they may have changed it. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it. Or, or somebody just missed their block and you're running scot-free to the block point. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, kind of ironic. You're talking about how you gear your special teams to be more offense-oriented with returns, and all of a sudden your special teams turns into offense on a defensive play. How great is that? And now that I'm just thinking about it off the top of my head, you guys accounted for 11 points as a special teams unit. And when your special teams becomes your offense to a certain degree, that's complimentary football at its finest. Certainly is. It certainly is. Uh, we we have not been able to do that up to this point in this season. I think that's been a, a disadvantage for us. We haven't converted on field goal attempts. Um, we have we we had big returns in the previous game negated by penalties. So I mean, it really was a situation where um, you know we got into the red zone, had the ability to make to make the field goals. Um, and then you know give give our offense a, a chance and give the defense a chance and then make big plays. I mean we've had um, you know other blocked kicks as well, so um, came up critical situations. Just to harp on the running backs for a little bit, the two running backs that got into the game, uh, Paladino and Davis, they had the equal amount of carries, almost the same number of yards, with Paladino only gaining one more yard than than Zach. Is it a challenge to balance the offense without Chase? Um, I, I I think it is. I think it is, and and it always has been the mentality here in, in this program that it's the next guy up. Um, and as we saw early on in the season, Zach came in uh, and did a great job um, at the Central Connecticut game. You know, he he was forced in there. We actually came in as the third running back, and Jared Brevard. You know, had a season-ending injury, 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 and then uh, Zach came in and did a great job. And then at that point, it was, you know, balanced back and forth. Um, but but I think it it really says a lot about those two individuals, and it says a lot about the offensive line, the wide receivers, the tight ends, the quarterbacks, everybody that's involved, because everybody has to um, pick up the the slack. I mean, when you lose the productivity of a Chase Edmonds, then you know everybody has to do their part to um to make up and to work towards yeah, scoring like it's I, I totally get that concept it's like chase is responsible for x production you can't expect someone to come in and individually do that so you need the whole team to um zach davis shows off such incredible speed when he's able to hit the edge and a lot of the times he's running just not in that direction by design of the play how much control do you have of the direction he runs in and and do you see that running to the outside is better fit for him potentially? Uh, I think he, you know, first off, we base it on schematically. You know, people try to take away certain things when certain backs are in the game. Um, you know, after that Central Connecticut, everybody was worried about the perimeter run because Zach had come in and done such a good job. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, traditionally we are an inside zone running football program. Um but but really, and I tell them, I say my job is the first three yards. You know, get get lined up, get through the mesh point, and that's the three yards in the backfield. Recruiting takes over 
the rest of that. You know, yeah. and that, that, I'm telling Chase, hey. You can teach that to a certain extent. 100%. <laughs> align on the right. Get through the mesh point. Here are your reads. After that, it's it's talent and, and God-given ability. Yeah. And nobody has that more, of course, than Chase Evans. We hope to see him back soon, and we hope to see you back soon, Coach. Thank you uh, once again for joining us here, and best of luck this week against Lehigh. All right. Thank you very much, guys. And we are back on the Monday Night Quarterback Program for our Inside the Huddle segment. James Cargan, Tommy Aldrich here, and two of the fine young men from the Fordham University football team, sophomore from Staten Island, Jesse Bramble, and the freshman from Indiana, Andrew Mevis, the kicker. Guys, how are we doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Doing great. As we all are after the big win over Georgetown, uh, we'll get to the big play, of course, in a moment. But, Andrew, uh, I want to start with you uh, uh, regarding this game. Three for three on field goals, obviously exceptional. By the way, you were named... Uh, Patriot League Special Teams Player of the Week. Congratulations for that. Thank you. But uh, the punting game was was really on point uh, this this past Saturday. What uh, what goes into uh, the preparations for to prepare for punting like that? Well, first of all, it all starts with the snap. So I got to thank my snapper for just for the great work that he puts in to allow for me to even to catch the ball which is the first thing you got to do when you yeah. want to punt you got to <laughs> catch the ball first and so once I catch the ball I just go through my normal routine my steps and everything else just takes care of itself uh, uh, you mentioned catching the ball I'm sure your coaches maybe in the past have had the Michigan Michigan State game from two years ago Probably oh, playing yeah. on a That's loop. A point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you guys don't remember. I mean, you know when he dropped about. The, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 But, uh, Good memory. <laughs> is it tough to do the place kicking and the punting, or is it is there like different things that go into each? I'd say they're both separate. So they're really. Um, I think it's easy to go back and forth in between, but it takes a, it takes a lot of muscle memory that you got to build for each one. So onto these kicks, though, uh, none of them under thirty yards. Uh, when you line up for a thirty-plus yard field goal, in my eyes, at this level of play, I, I'm always—and this is nothing. This is not a shot against you. This is just my expectations for I don't know college. I don't know, but uh, that's a tough kick. Some people, James, thinks that's a pretty—I don't know—a gimme. How, would you say thirty? It's not a. Nothing's a gimmick. <laughs> Nothing is ever a gimmick. How do you feel about that distance and, and how proud of yourself to nail three of them? I mean, definitely. I know like what my range is, and basically you have to treat every single kick this exact same. Basically, every, every kick, in my mind, it's got to be just like a PAT. It's all nice, nice and easy, just, just smooth with your movement and kick through and the line that you your target line that you make before you take the kick you got to trust it and basically everything just takes care of itself and so well now I just want to reverse things because we're talking about kicking and you know you're the guy who scoops and score a blocked kick we just talked to your special teams coach and he said you guys are an offensive minded special teams unit 
based on the fact that you gear yourself maybe towards blocking on returns. But how ready are you for a scoop and score when the opportunity arises? Uh, I mean, we're always ready because, <clears throat> like uh, Coach said before in the scheme, we had, we it's like schematically put in so that like we have a block side and a scoop and score side. But actually, on the block kick on uh, Saturday, I was actually on the block point. Like I was on the block side, so like I came off the edge hard, and then Manny just clobbered the ball down and it bounced up <laughs> right in front of me. So I was able to just catch it on the run and then take it all the way back. And let's relive uh, the big play that led to two points right now. Now the first point after of the game by Brad Hurst. The holder is Clay Norris. The kick is blocked. The extra point is blocked, and it's going the other way. It's Jesse Bramble down the near side of the 40 to the 50. Down the near sideline. He's got a convoy. He's going to run it back all the way for two points. How gassed were you, man? Oh, I was, I was really gassed. Did you guys have the uh, oxygen ready? Or? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, like, I was feeling it midway through the run. Like, I, I was gassed. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, I was like walking to the side. <laughs> well, luckily, you had basically your entire team behind you to protect you, so you could have basically walked into the end zone, saved a little bit of energy. Yeah, you know, they, they did a great job. You know, I, as soon as I picked it up, like, pretty much the whole team just sprinted down behind me. You watch it on film. Like, Noah, yeah. uh, Noah Fitzgerald was there, <laughs> Caleb Ham, Nico Thorpe, Dylan Maven. He was talking to me the whole play. You know, yeah, was, I was going to say, how aware were you of those blockers? Because, you know, yeah, I mean, you could clearly hear him talking to you. Like, some of them were so close that I was worried they might have, like, tripped you up or something. I was hoping that wouldn't have happened. But you, you really did have a convoy out there. Yeah, the only one uh, I was focused on was uh, Dylan Maeve because he was the one talking to me. <laughs> well, what but, was like, he saying? <laughs> he was like, as, like as soon as I picked it up, he was like, "Oh, Jesse, 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 Jesse." <laughs> so he took off, and then he was like, he was running. Down. He was like, "All right, we got you." Oh, we got the. He was like, "We got a convoy. We got an escort." So Man. I was like, "All right, like we're good. Like I just gotta make it there." That's that's when you're having a good time on yes. the football field. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing uh, quite like that. I I recall when. Uh, Glenn Cunningham ran an interception back about 50, 60 yards. He was so tired after that play, he, he had to sit out a couple of plays in the next series. Yeah. Which, uh, you you guys, I know you guys are in good shape. How conditioned are you, though, for those kind of runs? Uh, I mean, we're... We're in, we're in good we're in pretty good shape. I mean, uh, Coach Reem, like over the summer, like we work out with him all the time. Like we prepare for like sprints like that. Like actually doing them, like you have like all the emotion and all the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. It uh, yeah. it takes a lot more out of you. And uh, Jesse, moving on to your your primary duty on this team as the cornerback opposite Dylan Maven. Uh, a couple things. One, how has it been really just you know playing a lot of snaps at corner this year and. Uh, What's it like playing with Dylan as well, who, in my opinion, is just having a really good season? Oh, uh, yeah, he's having an amazing year. He's leading the league in PBU. So. He's leading, like, like the nation, yeah, the apparently, nation. In, in, yeah. in those past breakups, which is just crazy. Yeah, he's, he's, he's having an amazing year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been good to be able to just get out there and be, be more involved and, like, be able to actually go out there and make players with my teammates and, like, be excited with them. And then playing opposite Dylan, it's, it's like, a pleasure because, like, like, I don't know, like, teams, like, target him all the time, so, like, you think like he's leading the league in, p- in pass breakups, they would target me, but they just seem to keep going at him. He just keeps making plays. Yeah, and he was actually targeted quite a bit uh, this past weekend. The crowd was like, I don't know if he was aware, but the crowd was, he was like the Georgetown fan base's mortal enemy. They wanted P.I. every time. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. <laughs> they were going to be, I thought they were going to be throwing, taking those uh, seat back chairs and uh, whipping them <laughs> no, on the field. Really, it was really point. wild. I, I, more so than I've seen all year. I don't know why.
<laughs> uh, they, they've had a uh, longer tailgate than we had expected. But, uh, Andrew, I want to come back to you for a second. You were in the Under Armour All-American game. Uh, and you and as Coach Fogarty just told us, you went down to Florida for the kicking competition, which you made six field goals inside of how long? I believe it was. I didn't. Don't. I'm not for sure how long it was. I believe in between a minute and a minute and a half. But when I was going through those kicks, um, just the time, um, the the time amount of time that. I had like five kicks kicked already, and I saw that I had like 30 seconds to make my last kick. So it was, I had plenty enough time. Okay. <laughs> so it was good. That's always good. Does that, because uh, sometimes in, in kickers, we've seen that uh, a little bit with or Roberto Aguayo, where he's maybe the greatest college kicker ever, and he has, and he's taken the second round, he's got pressure on him, and he doesn't really uh, handle the pressure well. Is it is there a pressure uh, on you coming, uh, being highly touted, like that? I don't know if there is. I don't really feel like there is, but to a sense, I feel like there there is an expectation. I mean, there's always an expectation, and you know, my goal is to meet that expectation and go beyond that expectation to make and do to do my personal best at whatever I do. That's a good word to use because I think that's really the the tricky spot that kickers are in. It's really in that word right there, expectation, because for some reason, I mean, you know, maybe because of the way the NFL structured the extra point that it was a, you know, guarantee from the one-yard line, that's what got everybody head. But, you know, it's really the idea that it's expected to make a kick when maybe it's really not. But, you know, that that – Remains to be seen. <laughs> uh, Jesse, I want to talk to you while I still got you because I'm a big DB guy in general. Uh, you know, when you're out there and you got a guy in front of you, do you have any types of preferences when it comes to coverage? you like going in on him or do you like man coverage maybe more than zone or zone versus man? Um, I don't really have a preference. I mean, whatever coach calls, we have to go out there and execute. So in terms of preference... Uh, it doesn't really make a difference to me. Got it. Got it. Uh, I believe that's all the time we have. Thank you guys so much for coming on to the show today. We always appreciate the perspective of the players, and best of luck this week against Lehigh. Thank you. Thank you. Back here on Monday night, quarterback James Cargan, Tommy Aldrich, and, of course, the head coach of Fordham University, Andrew Briner. This is an interesting game. Coming up this week, Lehigh, the preseason favorites in the Patriot League by, by a decent amount, loses their first five games of the season. They, they've won two since, but what kind of matchup are, are you looking for here? Well, in, in my time here at, at Fordham, um, the, the Lehigh-Fordham game, like most of the other Patriot League games, um, uh, you know, a rivalry in, in a sense. I think all Patriot League games are, um, but but Lehigh has long been um, one of, if not the top teams in this league. Um, you know, they returned to the top last year, um, and, you know, as you said, they, they did not start the way they wanted to, um, but ultimately they're 2-0 in the league. 
they're sitting on top of the conference standings. Uh, we have a chance to uh, to put a blemish on that that record and and look forward to the preparation that it'll take to to do just that. And coach, I was I really liked hearing your thoughts on the the basically the scouting report with Darius last week. Is there any sort of player you're watching on their team that you will plan for this week? Yes, um, you know I I. I think offensively they have a really balanced attack um brad mays is the quarterback um brad played quite a bit last year uh when nick shafansky went out at times um and has showed last year that he could play at a high level has continued that this year um they have a a, a really a trio of receivers led by uh senior troy pelletier who's been as as good as any receiver at the FCS level, um, you know, this year, last year, his sophomore year, he is a dynamic playmaker. He is someone that that needs attention, that warrants attention, and I've seen him make plays even when he gets that kind of attention. Um, and then, you know, the 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 guy everyone talks about Lehigh's passing game, but their their running back Dom Braglione is a is a really really good back. We saw that last year. Um, so they are a an offense that forces you to defend everything, every inch of the field, every skill position that they have, um, you know, lined up, um, run game, pass game, run pass options. They they do it all. They do it all at a high level, um, and they 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 make you work on defense. Now, uh, speaking of quarterbacks, Luke Medlock, who obviously started this week, you want, uh, a neutral observer would look at his stat line and say the, the backup quarterback throwing 45 passes is crazy. Well, of course, the, not the one who saw the game could observe that he threw those 45 passes and yet still managed the game, still made smart decisions, didn't turn the football over. Is that your game plan with Luke going forward if he remains in the game? Yeah. You know, I, I think I've said it before, whether it was on the show or in, in one of the, the interviews or conversations that we have during the week, we are really fortunate to have Luke um, as, as you know, the quote-unquote backup quarterback because he has been in this system. He knows it. Uh, he's been in it for three years. He knows it at, at a level that I would venture to guess most starting quarterbacks know their offense. So when Luke is in the game, we are not restricted in any way in terms of what we call based on does he know how to operate the system. So uh, based on what Georgetown was doing, it gave us some opportunities to throw some quick throws um, to, to both the, the short side of the field and to the to the wide side of the field, and, and, and he knew exactly what to do when he got the right look, and, and he attempted those passes. So, um, you know, I, I remain – uh, continue to say what I've said for a while. We are very fortunate to have Luke Medlock in our program and offensively to, to just game plan and call plays as we would if Kevin was in there. One thing that stuck out in my mind from one of our previous interviews that you wanted to get the point across to Luke to not try and win the game all on one play. And I mentioned that several times in our broadcasts because there were lots of plays where he bought himself a, quite a bit of time. And you can see with his eyes that he is looking downfield with his head on a swivel, probably to throw the ball. But a lot of the times he threw it away, and I would say, you know what, as badly as he probably wants to unleash it, he is doing a very smart job, I think, of letting some of those throws just go out of bounds. And obviously the stat line speaks for itself. He did a good job doing that, but how, on your end, how hard is it, or what do you do to try to, how do you rein in a quarterback who wants to throw the ball? 
It, it goes back to the first time you sit down and talk with a quarterback about the, the philosophy, the characteristics, the decision-making that you want. You know, I, I've often told these guys, sometimes the best, th- best throw you'll make all day is to your dad in the front row, and Luke literally threw one into the front <laughs> row of, of the stands over the fence the other day, and I, I commented on that on Sunday. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, it, it's whether you're a starter or you're a backup, um, you know, playing quarterback is about decision-making, um, and whether that's which route you're throwing to based on the defender's reaction or whether it's to throw the football out of bounds. or you know Those are the decisions that you make over and over and over again. And I have found in my time coaching quarterbacks and, and calling offenses and, and being around this game is that gen- generally when you look back on a game, uh, you look back on a season, uh, the quarterback that can make the most correct decisions on a consistent basis, they win football games, they win championships. With wide receivers, I just want to talk a little bit about them while we're on Luke. There's been injuries all over the place, and so how what have been the challenges presented by all the new bodies coming in, and how have you overcame some of them? Yeah, I, the, the challenges are limited reps between the quarterback and the mm-hmm. receivers. Um, and sorry to interrupt. I only bring it up because we had Kevin on the show, and we were talking about some of the injuries at running back, and Kevin admitted that it has been a challenge because he had such a repertoire with Chase, and he can just you know almost give him hand signals. Whereas when it's new guys, sometimes you have to verbally tell them on the field. So yeah. Whereas I may have thought before that going into that that it really wasn't. It may have been a little more mindless than that. Maybe not. Yeah, I you know I think it's probably somewhere in the middle, Tommy. I think you know the the outside world probably makes a bigger deal out of it than than the coaching staff does. Um, but the reality is, is when you watch the film, you can tell that there's some timing and spacing issues that that you can best fix by just getting reps um, and getting reps with that quarterback and those wide receivers. The other challenges is you know through the practice week having to shuffle guys around based on who's available. So guys that played one position on Saturday. There was one guy in particular that played one position on Saturday that got little to zero reps uh, at that position through the week because of you know late injuries and scratches yeah. and and so you know it comes back to teaching our offensive system um, conceptually um, that that guys don't get locked into I'm just this position uh, but really understand what we're trying to do conceptually and and that gives us the ability to kind of plug and play and, and mix things around. The credit goes to those young men uh, for, for learning the offense conceptually and, and being asked to do something on Saturday morning um, that, that they hadn't necessarily prepared during the week for and going out and, and really for the most part doing a really solid job. From that perspective, uh, how different will it be to, pl- to game plan for Lehigh than it was for Georgetown based on what they present? Yeah, every week's a little bit different. Um, you know, the you know Lehigh, Georgetown had great football players on both sides of the ball. Lehigh has great football players on both sides of the ball. Um, speaking specifically defensively, it's two different schemes. So it, it's a little bit different each week, you know, a little bit different based on what personnel you have and, and, and their personnel and their scheme. So, um, but that that's the that's the fun part of the job. Mondays are a, a long grinding day, um, but we're sitting there, we're watching film, we're, we're putting game plans together, and that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, one of the fun parts of the job. We're, we're very glad to contribute to the grind of the Monday, I'm sure. Uh, we, uh, I'm sure you always stress out about these interviews. <laughs> no, very much look forward to 5.30 every, uh, every Monday. 
As do we. Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a much happier show today, and we hope to continue this run of happy shows going forward. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Well, Tommy, this may have been our most relaxed show of this season, and it's easy to understand why coming off of that big victory. Absolutely. Fordham had its most complete game of the season. Uh, No one unit played amazingly. But the fact is they played complimentary football and the aggregate made to their most complete game of the season, in my opinion. They look to keep the momentum going this week against Lehigh. Without a doubt. And that will do it for this week's edition of Monday Night Quarterback. Thanks, as always, to head coach Andrew Briner, assistant head coach, special teams coordinator, and running backs coach Shane Fogarty, kicker Andrew Mevis, and cornerback Jesse Bramble. Next Monday, join us for another edition of Monday Night Quarterback. A look back at the Lehigh game and a look ahead to the matchup at Jack Coffey Field against Holy Cross. We will have our X's and O's segment with one of the coaches and our Inside the Huddle segment with some of the players. Remember to tune in on Saturday afternoon as the Rams return home to face Lehigh. Kickoff is at 1 and we'll be on at 12.50 for the one-on-one pregame report on 90.7 FM, WFUV.org and WFUVsports.org. And don't forget to tune in to one-on-one on Wednesday at 7 p.m. only on WFUVsports.org. Until those times, for Tommy Aldrich and producer Charlie Maizano, this is James Cargan. Have a good week, everybody. Monday Night Quarterback is a production of WFUV Sports. <laughs>